Hello and welcome to Arrest All Mimics. My name is Ben Tallon. This is the Creative Innovation Podcast. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Good to have you. Uh, always a pleasure to have you guys checking in. I hope you're well. I hope you're having good weeks. I hope you're staying creative. The weather is shape-shifting studios. Yep, we've got Raw Studios' Rob Watson coming up on the show today discussing the size of a creative studio. Uh, It's a fantastic insight to a man who's experienced the large operation, came out of uni, got big, got stressed, downsized uh, to a smaller operation and he's feeling very, very happy and creative and we're going to get under the skin of why the size of an operation matters like that. But first, a little thanks to the sponsors who keep this show free every week. IllustrationWeb.com, wonderful illustration and animation agency, representing a hell of a lot of artists globally. Such a strong body of talent. Um, go and check out the website. Go and check out the news section for a peek behind the curtain. These guys support the creative industries in a fantastic way, working with the likes of the Society of Artist Agents, the Association of Illustrators, um, and just digging their heels in for what's right in terms of contracts, industry rights, IP rights, uh, it's all going on. Go and have a look. Illustrationweb.com. Founding sponsor. Big supporters. Just like heartinternet.co.uk. My digital and tech sponsor. They give us a tip every episode. These guys provide a wonderful breadth of social media advice, SEO advice, uh, website stuff, <laughs> um, hosting domain names, the rest of it. They're, they're really great at what they do. So go and check them out at heartinternet.co.uk. And for the tip this episode, let's not look beyond the guest weareraw.co.uk go and check out their awesome website it's really great on a functional level on a design level um, and more importantly just the warmth of the work that that shines out of that website you're going to hear more of that coming from Rob today and he really is a warm character Um, and I've not had the pleasure of meeting Ruth Watson but I would take a guess that she's no different because what these guys do is wonderful and it really sings from the pages of the website. So just go and have a little play. Look at the functionality. Look at the hero slider on the website. Just look at what you can get from a website and a portfolio that's going to really scream out to your clients. So that is the tip of Heart Internet. Thank you. Heartinternet.co.uk. And last but very not least, the Association of Illustrators, the AOI.com, doing great work throughout the illustration industry, helping out with the likes of contractual advice uh, the business side of things getting involved with the things that we might struggle with as freelance practitioners uh, they do they've always done great work on that but it gets better all the time they're doing more and more events since uh, Ren Renwick came on board as the MD she's doing a great job uh, I should mention PIP uh, which is the Bristol arm of the, the, the social meetup they're doing a, an event coming up on the 31st of January so go and check out their social channels to find out more about that if you're in that part of the country or if you're just passing through it might be worth dropping in they've also got a forthcoming exhibition on well-being coming up so excited to find out more about that one um just to get a little personal plug in my book champagne and wax crayons was named in the 11 books that changed designers lives on computer arts recently which was a a huge thrill for me and a, a lovely compliment from podcast alumni craig black who who named it so so thanks to craig for that craig is an awesome designer working across many fields producing really hot fresh work at the moment so have a look and go and listen to his story on episode 90 of the podcast on the usual channels stitcher soundcloud itunes wherever you get your podcasts so without further ado today's guest rob watson one half of raw design studio who've been in the game since 2006 doing good work for nice people across design and digital we work with people and organizations from big brands to one-man bands creating work with a strong focus on craftsmanship and collaboration 
Raw believes that the working world is evolving and they're early adopters of the Smart Plus Small model, which means their team gets bigger and smaller depending on each individual project they work on. This means you get the best bespoke team for your particular needs and they can create a working environment that makes everyone happy and productive. And that says a lot about what we're going to be talking about today, which is happiness, well-being, um, but more importantly, the size of the operation and how that affects those key creative components. Um, Rob's going to tell us why supposed is a dangerous word, supposed to be doing this, supposed to be going there, supposed to be talking about that. A lot of the time supposed is bullshit and it, and it kind of takes us away from the happiness and the headspace and what's going on inside and why that matters. So we're going to be getting deep into all that stuff. We're going to be talking growth and downsizing, why having one or 100 people does not matter. If you're doing great work, you'll be respected for it. We're going to talk about what made Rob say, if this is what success is, then screw it. <laughs> yep, they got to a, a kind of a crescendo, a peak, and felt that the size of their operation wasn't the best thing for creativity and their clients, and why they had to downsize. Rob's recently started a wonderful podcast, which you really should check out, called The Do Good Podcast. It's quite a heartwarming one, uh, you know, at a time when there's a lot of bad news out there, so go and take a look at that. Um, drop us a little review on the iTunes, please, for Arrest on the Mix. Uh, let us know how you feel about the episode on social at Arrest on the Mix. Tell us about what you've been up to and if you want to be on the show or whether you'd like to recommend somebody who would like to be on the show or should be on the show, more importantly. So that's it. I think without further ado, we've covered everything there. Thanks again to everyone involved. Please do share the love uh, and enjoy today's conversation with Rob Watson from We Are Raw Studio. Like we sort of set out like, thinking by like I was graduated from uni when I was 24 and when I was that time I was like I always had it in my mind I was thinking yeah I want to have my own studio at some point I used to just picture this really smart studio and building a team and stuff got into the industry for a couple of years and then just chance came upon it that we had an opportunity a friend who um, a school friend he came from it like a business side of things sales and I'd done the creative and we just thought let's give it a go mm. let's see where we can go with this and we didn't have any great expectations or any plans. And I think it's basically like any, anything you want to do, whether you start your podcast or anything you want to do, we don't know how you do it, do you, until you start. No. You learn as you go. Of course you do, with everything. Yeah. yeah. And it's never what you think it is, ever. You can't, like you said, you can't find out until you fell it a little bit. And then sometimes it's really not what you expected in a bad way. Other times it can be, just lead to, you know, doors can open from so many things. So, yeah. It's, so, well, so... What were them? Was it just a? I'm going to find out about this, or was it? Or was it just something you felt that that was was the path? In terms of starting out, yeah, it just felt like where was that? The company was at. We did some great work. I just felt a little bit like um, I wanted to just push it a bit more creatively. I wanted to be the projects to come at stuff and go right. I want it to be about the design. Primarily, be about design. Do good design, mm. and by focusing on that, the work will come and the clients will come. And the money will come after yeah. that if we can focus that. So we kind of just went out after that. Um, and it just sort of grew from that. But we had really slow growth. Like we took on a placement to start off with. And then he came on full time. Hired a couple of extra people like a project manager and a, and a designer. But we were basically following that path. Because at the time we were looking around. And at that time in Manchester like Love, Creative. These were the companies that were doing some great work. And they were the, kind of the models for it. Mm. Um, so we're like, well, that's the path you're supposed to go on. And you're supposed to just grow and get bigger. Mm. Um, but one interesting thing about the creative industry that I've always thought from time is, you know, you get respected on your work that you do. 
it doesn't matter if you've got a hundred people or one people if you're doing great work then you'll get the respect from it yeah so never wanted us to push and get too big we did have conversations like oh maybe we should we even had a plan at once we're going to get up to a team of 25 and mm. i'm like what i'm like it's just bullshit it's like what what does that even look like and what <laughs> what am i gonna have to put myself through what am i gonna have to lose to create that to sell something but anyway we kept on growing and we moved studios from a, a size about six by three meters to six by six and then we moved into this three-story building and it was an amazing journey to go on and we were doing some really good work. We did a lot of self-initiated stuff, which is, that's always been a big thing for me is pushing mm. the self-initiated stuff. Because often with your client brief, you might not be able to get the opportunity to push stuff. You mm. might, you know, you can get your ideas rejected or not, it won't go there. So we're like, okay, we'll do some more self, do self-initiated stuff and then we'll push that and try and get it on blogs and stuff. And going back like 2008, like Form 55 was really big back then and, we got a few stuff featured on there and it kind of just went that way. Um, but we had a lot of fun, a lot of fun. But I guess it came to a certain point for me, like, okay, I'm getting a bit older now. I've followed this path. I didn't really have a plan except I wanted to build a studio. Mm-hmm. I kind of ticked all the things that I wanted to do, work with some of the biggest clients in the country, hire teams, have to fire staff necessarily want to do that but it was, it was a really good experience to go through them things um, win a bunch of awards create this amazing studio um, and from the outside looking in it looked like oh we, we have we have got it now we used to get about 10 student CVs a week we could basically cherry pick the best creative in a way to come and work for us which was amazing but I think in some ways we were just and I think it's like it is a, a, across the board you're just creating this impression Mm-hmm. Of, of what it appears to be like and then the day to day it's a slog yeah. and it's tough and you've got to deal with all your staff and you've got to got all mm-hmm. the challenges that come up and it was coming to be pretty tiresome in a way um, mm. it's a bit like social media people go on your Instagram account people share the best stuff Yeah. in a better way it's like one in a studio or whatever you're only going to put out the good stuff of course you are yeah. um, but I think there's a shift going on and, and for me there's a big shift that went on about 2011 2012 I started to meditate at the beginning of 2012 and that just changed everything for me really. I went from being so stressed and so kind of like just on this treadmill because the way I think about it, around about that time I was just starting to question everything in my life. Mm. I was looking at things and being like, okay I'm 31, I've just got married, I've built a business, I've got a nice house, I've got a nice car, we go on these holidays, I should be, I followed the path that's been set for me to be a successful man. Yeah. And now I'm like, but I don't feel, I, I feel really stressed. My health was battered. I was really struggling. I was like, if this is what success is, then I'm like, screw it. I don't want any of this. <laughs> but because we built what we had done and I had a business partner at the time, it wasn't, I couldn't just drop everything. But when I started to find um, meditation, um, that kind of just opened up something for me big time. Like mm. Instead of me just being on this treadmill and just being focused day to day and stuff, I was able to just like look much further ahead and chart a different course for me because I was able to have more space and time with myself. So in that time, it's just been on a bit of a journey to like, okay, how can we change stuff? Um, and it eventually just came to such a point at the end of 2015 that, you know, we built up, at our peak, we had a team of 10 and 
you know, we were, you know, consistently turning over like half a million and stuff like that. And like I say, that all looked great from the outside, but I'm mm. like, well, if I keep on doing this for another five, ten years, I'm still going to be in Salford. Yeah. I'm still going to be driving to work each day. I'm still going to be managing staff. And I think that was the big thing for me, managing the team. You know, I went to uni and did graphic design, and that's what I got into the industry for. And I think maybe a lot of businesses, people might set up and then purposely want to bring people on to take over what they were doing. Yeah. And I think with design, you know, from my point of view, to be in it and to be doing the creative, that's the thing that gives me the buzz. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you kind of hit on a bit of a crux there in, in that I actually just, on the, the poster behind you, I painted earlier on today a quote from Steve, and I'm doing a series of podcast posters on this Jeff Smith paper as a little bit of collaboration, and I'm pulling out some nice quotes, and that one was from Steve Renakis, who's a creative director at Google Creative Labs. And he said, I don't, I mean, I rarely meet people that got into this industry to make money. It was because it was an expression of themselves and they just so happened to make money from that expression. And I think when you, when you separate that, that lust to just feel good about creating something that we all kind of start with, whether it's drawing as a child or whatever we do now in, you know, in college and as an adult, once it, once you get separated, however, from that, I think if it's someone that, like yourself that, that, that has a passion about graphic design and you take it away from that, something has to give, you know, it's like, that's not natural, it's not, probably not why you started to do it in the first place, and then, therefore, I think there's, there's a seed of unhappiness that's planted there, sure, you know, that's, that's what I get from people who've told a similar story that you have just there, you know, it's, it's the reason that I am quite fearful of doing that, I don't want to kind of grow and bring more people, that being said, I like the model that you guys work with now, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute, I love the idea of collaborating with like minds and, and going, okay, what have we got here? Who can we work for? What's the budget? And who can we bring in? Because it's disposable and you can always step back at the end of the day. So tell us about that, where you are now and, and what, what, what the transformation has been like. Yeah, so like very much like how it was, it'd be like, we'd have a team of 10 and you'd have them fixed overheads and you knew, and you had that fixed skill set. So, you know, we'd have developers, illustrators and stuff working for us, which was amazing. Um, but at times you might think, well, we want to bring someone else in to work on that. That illustrator might be better than what, what's working in-house or this anime or whatever it may be. But because we had them mm. overheads in the team, we went with that way. And it still worked perfectly. But I think for me, it's like keeping it fresh and keeping it new. Yeah. And, um, so to work the way we work now, so at the end of 2015, we made the call to, a really, really tough call to say, right, we no longer want to have any fixed staff working with us. We don't want to be in a fixed location anymore. We want the flexibility to work with individuals on a project-by-project basis and potentially freeing us up so we don't even have to be in a particular location. If we were going to be in America, for instance, or Indonesia, we could quite easily work from there and still connect with our team. Mm -hmm. When we set up in 2006... The idea of working remotely or what might be kind of like, well, it wasn't in my uh, realm of possibility. It was, it's just something that's sort of like become possible because of the way technology is developed. Yeah. So we've got like, well, let's change and let's move with that. And um, so from 2016, we, we let everything go and we developed our loft space. It took us about six weeks to turn it around. Um, I did it along with um, my cousin and, um, and my dad and... Um, and stuff and we just kind of just got stuck in for, for six weeks and converted it and then um, and it gave us this space and it, it was so freeing to start off with because normally I'd get in the car I'd go down the motorway each day and I'd spend probably about an hour or so each day getting to and from work mm. and then when it started to tie it up it's like that's like 30-40 hours um, a month of me just 
going to to work. Yeah. And I'm like, imagine what I could do with that time instead. Um, and the beauty of it as well is the way we've been able to change the way we work is is because we don't have them fixed overheads. We now don't even have to work as much as we used to. So instead of going in and doing five days and get getting for about ten and stay there to about six, half six. Now, you know, it can really be about three days a week for us, for mm. me and Ruth, and it's given us that flexibility to explore other things in our life that we're really passionate about. But to have that model now of just, if a brief comes in, like between me and Ruth, we've got a pretty good skill set. Um, but if we need a developer, an animator, a, a good illustrator, whatever that may be, we can just pull them in and cherry pick them from a brief. Yeah. But some jobs that we do now, it can just be me and Ruth working on them. Mm-hmm. Or it'll be, we need to bring in our... A, trusted developer One, and that's the great thing is the people that we used to work with we still work with a few of them mm-hmm. still, a few of them are still particularly from the digital side of things Brilliant. they've stayed with us cause that, and in a way that's what we really needed as well I'm a designer I can design but I'm not a, I'm not a developer so to keep that relationship going has been great um, but yeah it's just it's, it's felt really really freeing in many ways and to take that I basically use this term sometimes. I basically come like office dad. That's what it almost turned into towards the end. Um, at some point, I was just doing appraisals and catch ups. And if anyone needed anything, needed to go off a dentist appointment or they needed a day, it was, I was just fielding all this stuff. And yeah. I'm like, oh God, I've got, I've got to get out of this. It's, but the thing is, is <laughs> I don't regret any of it. And of course I, not. And I'm so grateful for all the experiences, even the most challenging times. Because I grew so much and learned from that. And if I, if I would have just maybe set out as a, maybe a freelancer at 26, yeah, I could have been maybe become a better designer, but I think doing this I'd become like a better person. And how could you have known? How could you have, how could you have scratched that itch and known that in the long run the expansion wasn't the right way to go? There's no other way you could have known that. It's like, you know, without experiencing it and finding out why it wasn't working. It's the same with a lot of things. Uh, a lot of things I look back and, it, you know, if you look at it with a negative mindset, you could very easily write it off as a mistake or something you wish hadn't happened. But to your point now, I don't regret anything because now I look back and I think, well, every single bit has just been a way of guiding me where I'm getting to now and I'm, and I'm quite happy. You know, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's, a strange, um, it's a strange thing, but I think, as you said, it's good to jump in, learn, find out. That, you know, take the ups and downs, and then and as long as you're honest with yourself, I think the danger comes when you don't admit. Almost, yeah. it's almost when you keep chase, chasing that idea of success and that constant expansion. That's when people start to lose it a little bit. I can see why as well. Is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, totally. I think, I, I think a lot of us are maybe doing stuff that we, um, it's not our true selves. It's not what we would deep down choose. We've kind of just got swept up in it and, and caught up with the in the rat race yeah. in some ways, and this feeling of like if we don't just keep going with it, we're going to get trampled on, or everyone's going to get ahead of us. Yeah, um, and that's the thing that we've had to go through the past few years in a way because we've basically taken a hundred and eighty degrees turn. Our aim is to we've massively reduced our overhead, which has then brought down our turnover and profit, profit and all them things. But what they just shows figures. You can't put into you can't put a value on us getting our time back, no. us getting our life back, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's it's you know it's being really being honest with yourself and being and I being brave to say right okay I'm gonna follow this and the thing is is what we did is me and Moose said if this doesn't work out we can go back to the way it was mm-hmm. you can always change and go back to if something doesn't work I think it's that feeling that 
if you don't do something that feels right in your gut, if you don't at least scratch that itch, you're gonna, you can look back and be like, I should have, you know, well, and that exactly. could be like 20 years on or something, you're like, oh, why didn't I do that? Yeah, yeah, if you don't find out, you'll always be wondering, oh, well, God, should I have done it, should I have done it? Go there, find out, even if it falls to bits, you've done it, and you, and you can, you can kind of, you know, you can go another way. Um, I think, yeah, and I, I mean, I speak to a lot of people, I have friend, quite a few friends who are creative directors because, I, you know, it's a friendly industry and you do tend to become friends with a lot of people you work with. Um, and some of them have, have gone, you know, they've gone for promotions and they've gotten in those higher roles and some of them love it, some of it is, some people it's been the right, the right thing for them, but there's a number of them who have told, who have kind of stopped and gone, I've lost that, I'm not on the day-to-day creative, I'm just not there anymore, That's exactly what you said, it tends to, I tend to be managing, overseeing, directing, and some of them are just creative souls, and it just doesn't seem to be, to be right for them. And they've told me stories then of friends who've denied, you know, who've turned down promotions to stay at that design director level because they love that too much. They like the balance of an all right wage, but a damn good day to day creative rather than going for the fat salary and losing that. You know, yeah. because as I said with the quote earlier, it's um, so many of us just did, we didn't. Very few of us know why we're doing this in the first place. It's just in you, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's a product of your environment, really, and something that's just there biologically, psychologically, I don't know what it is, not, not few of us do. Yeah. <laughs> you can't really tame that beast, can you? It's just it's a very natural thing. Uh, so what about your background? I, always, I usually start with that, what we dove in with the uh, the studio stuff. Like, were, were you creative as a kid? Have you got a creative family? What's the, what's the backstory? My, um, my granddad was like an amazing painter. I'd go around, I didn't see that much of him, um, as a, but when I did, he would always be painting, like painting, like be, he lived, all my family's from Liverpool and they'd always take me down to the docks and stuff and he'd always paint these amazing tall ships, mm. these stunning ones and he's the one that kind of taught me how to pencil draw, didn't really teach me how to paint but he taught me to pencil draw just to do this really detailed drawing, so it's something that has always been interested in, my mum and dad, not necessarily, my dad's pretty good at say like technical drawing, so maybe that's where like the element of like the graphic art has come in, with, like, mm. you know, the detailed elements there. Um, but I just always loved to draw and stuff as a kid. And in terms of school, didn't really, didn't really feel like I fitted in totally at school. I was a really shy kid. Um, I wasn't one of them that would be putting a hand up at the, the front of the at the de- in, in class. Um, but I was really I tend to thrive at like three things, which was one art, two maths. And free like making stuff, so like woodwork, mm. and they're the three things that I kind of like just pursued. But English, oh, awful. But the thing is, when you went to high school, your English grade from primary school tends to set a lot of what other cl- class like, sets you were in, you know, all that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I used to, I basically got really bored at school. Mm. I think it doesn't, and now when I reflect back on it, I can see how. Um, how in a way I'd love to be able to really like change the entire education system, you know, big time. Yeah, the listeners are probably sick of me banging on about that, but uh, I really feel quite strongly about it. For, for the same reasons you've said, there's very few people that I speak to that don't have that same story of being quite disillusioned at school and, and that creative side wasn't in any way catered for or got caught onto. You know, I really feel that there should be greater attention paid to characteristics and people's drivers and and more attention, more time allowed for the teachers to pay attention to the personalities and to find out what gets people going as opposed to just throwing this rigid syllabus at them. Yeah. Because 
you know, it's not many, not everyone's suited to that academic model, and so many. I I feel sorry for so many people who probably slip through the cracks who don't find the mentors along the way, that might open something up for people like you and I. You know, it's um, we are we we kind of we tend to be them people who sit you know relatively quietly near the back and, and just doodle in the back of a sketchbook, and and it takes I don't know, it just takes someone with a bit of vision to step forward and go, why are you doing that? You know, what's what's the interest and and push them into something. You know. Totally, and I think there was a, I came across these, it's inspired one of the self-initiated pieces we're working on, which showed that um, 99% of three-year-olds are considered to be like creative geniuses. By the time you get to seven, only 30% are. Mm. When you get into our age in your 30s, only 1% are considered. Wow. So we're all born geniuses. But what happens is it's the system that we go into, society, family structures, whatever it is, that breaks that down. And I think what and I think about it when you go to school, you're instantly told that you have to prove yourself. You have to prove that you're good at something. And that element of competition comes in. So rather than every kid going to school and being like, right, you're creative geniuses and what we're gonna do is we're gonna find a way for you to find out what you're passionate about, what you're great at, and allow you to grow and flourish. Instead it's like it's very set curriculum, everyone's set um, sat in these rows looking at the the teacher, this authoritarian sort of structure in a way. And, you know, like I'm grateful that I've gone through it all because we have to, it is what it is and, and stuff, but I think we could really do a lot better. And I've been speaking with some people recently and they homeschool their kids. And well, one of the child, she's only seven, she's been being homeschooled. And the, some of the older kids went through the school system and she said the difference between the two is phenomenal. The younger one just feels so much more free, expressive, so much more playful, creative, um, doesn't get bored at tasks, all these kind of things. And the key thing being that competitiveness. Don't feel like we always have to prove ourselves to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what ties in talking earlier on, like just building the studio and growing it. It's like, because you feel like you've got to prove something. You've got to succeed. And it's like, what what is success anyway? Exactly that. And, and, and I wrote I wrote a piece that I haven't done anything with yet. It's just, it's just, sometimes I just have to write these things down and I wrote actually about that, that, you know, that success is only, it's only success if the person's happy. That's, I believe that. I think, I think that you, you can have all the plaques in the world, you can have all the accolades, all, like you say, all the staff, the, whatever it might be. But if inside you're feeling empty and you're not doing what you love to do, then that isn't success to anyone except everybody else. And who gives a fuck what everybody else thinks, you know? That's <laughs> well, that's what it should be, but sadly it's not, is it? Because people do care what, like you say, teachers, parents think. Yeah. And yeah, to a degree, that's good. We should respect those people because they're there for a reason. But, um, no, that idea of, oh, I hate that. So I'll grow up, you know, grow up. Oh, it boils my blood. It's like I'm still yeah. a big kid and I always will be. I place a great value on that because... Those things I was doing as a kid made me very happy and continue to make me happy, and I think it's really sad when people relinquish that for the wrong reasons to fit in or to to get a job or, you know, yeah, we do have a long way to go though. You're completely right. <laughs> I think with kids as well, like you see, um, you see it say like mums and dads trying to sort of teach their kids as we're growing up, and I think it's the way we need to be. It should be flipping that we should be learning from the kids because. They've got this wonder and awe and playfulness mm-hmm. and in the moment and expressiveness and all this sort of stuff. And I think we need to, as a, as adults, to sort of tap back into that childlikeness. That yeah. Not to be childish, but to just be childlike yeah. and to have more play. And I think 
like I was thinking about it a while ago um, it got triggered by something my wife said and it was like where's um, oh, oh fuck it I'll just tell the story basically she, she was um, she, talk, she talks in sleep a few times and she said this one thing before she went to bed she's like oh, where's all my toys gone she's saying it in a, in a sleep <laughs> <laughs> and I um, and I just responded and said oh it's okay they're in your toy box it's okay why she's still asleep um, and I told her the day after and we were killing ourselves laughing but it really triggered something into me, thinking, where have all my toys gone? That's, you know, a, yeah, that's great. You know, I'm in my 30s now, where's all my toys gone? Like, you hear the thing, don't you, of when people, um, they have a kid or a boy, they're like, oh, I can't wait, I can play scale electric again or whatever. But actually, what about if we just start to just have some toys ourselves and work out whatever that may be, you know? Most of our toys now are smartphones. And mm. I think, in a way, a lot of that's just destructive because social media, it's... It's information overload. It's triggering our anxieties. Yeah, and it takes your attention away from all these wonderful things, these sources of inspiration that are going on every day. Yeah, you know, it's that's a great expression though. Where I'm, well, I love that. Where my toy's gone, it's perfect because it, you talk, like you say, a toy could be absolutely anything that makes you feel that same sense of wonder. I was writing about it and I was acquainted. I was just basically referring to it as magic. So it's, it's that feeling of magic that you get when. In my instance, I used to get that from playing Final Fantasy VII on the PlayStation. I, I was in love with that game, could not wait to get on from school to play it. But I felt like the worst kid in the world for doing that because I went, that was coming at the expense of my GCSE revision because I was completely unenthused with that. And when I'm not inspired or motivated by something, I, I struggle to apply myself to it. That's just in my nature. But when, now when I look back, the, the, it was the character development, it was the sets in those games, it was the artwork that came with it, all of that stuff made, just lit me up inside and made me feel alive. And I shouldn't have felt bad about that. It should have been, okay, I needed someone to go, okay, maybe you shouldn't be spending hours sitting playing that game, but let's have a look at the fundamental things that make you feel that way about it, and then where can we apply that to something more productive? Because that's what I see now looking back with hindsight. Um, but it's the same thing, and... and and I actually tried to play that game again recently and I struggled. I lasted about 20 minutes before I went and sat on the couch and read a book. So that's a toy, you know? Mm-hmm. I, get this, I get that same sense of wonder now. Struggle to sleep at night if I've thought of, a, let's say, an idea for a short story or a personal project illustration now. They've become my toys or going out for a country walk and that sounds kind of old mannish, but it's the same yeah. feeling and I think it's really important to protect that and make sure you've got that in your life, whatever, it, whatever your thing is to give you that feeling. I think that's it, but that's a great way of putting it. <laughs> I know it was um, it was genius when she when she said it and it just sort of like filtered through and it's like really triggered something I'm like yeah so a few of the things we've been doing the past few years is just like you know we haven't got any kids yet but we bought ourselves a trampoline you yeah. know we've got a skip and rope a hula hoop yeah um a hammock in the back just anything just to just yeah. Just to yeah. be in that moment a little bit more. Well, play. of course. I mean, and, and, and you've got a little barbecue and a big garden and there's a trampoline there and a few adults get a few beers down and everybody's on it. Yeah. Everyone lets their inhibitions down when they're pissed, but it's like, why why are not people feeling like it's a bad thing not to do that without alcohol or whatever it yeah. is? You know, you've held something really important now, I think. <laughs> and, and I think, yeah, if we can just... Um, I, what I'd love to see more, and I think maybe if you've dropped up, like adult playgrounds, so, you know... Or were they are across the spectrum? You know, you got stuff now like Go Ape and stuff like that, which is set for adults. Mm-hmm. But if there was more things like that, where the kids and the dads and the mums would be go to stuff, and they can all they can all be going down the slide. You know, it's not this tiny little slide; just a three-year-old can slide down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the adults can go down. I know we can go to Alton Towers and all them kind of things. But if we can introduce more play in more recreational areas and different places, it just can just. 
brings you more in that moment, you know, mm-hmm. when you can laugh and have joy and play, when life cannot be like that. No, life can be bloody tough at times. Absolutely, and if you surrender, like say, if you live in this uptight world of oh, I must be grown up and must do adult things, if you can become unhappy very quickly, you know. And like you say, if you're just spending all day looking down at what other people are doing, what supposedly doing with their lives, or an edited version of that. My God, you know, I can totally see the link there between the kind of rise in, in mental health issues and, and social media and, and this presentation of everything we're doing all of the time, you know. Um, if, you, you know. if you get away from that and go and do these awesome things yourself because it makes you feel good, then I think it would be a great way to counter some of the aspects of that for sure. And you touched on about going into nature, going for walks and I just think that is so crucial, especially if you spend a lot of time in the city. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many... It's not particularly Manchester. One thing that has um, been a bit of a bugbear for me, Manchester, very little green space in the centre. There's not many parks, if any, you know. Um, so to be able to get out there, one of the best days I've had this year is my cousin just like, said to me, let's go up to the Lake District to Buttermere and go for just this full long hike for the day. He picked me up at 8 o'clock in the morning, headed up there, nipped to the service stations. I think basically spent about six quid on food had one of the best days out in you know climbing these mountains and come around cost barely cost me anything mm-hmm. and the reward that and the feeling that I got from being up there and just being we climbed up this mountain and just to experience that and just takes your breath away yeah. and I think I didn't used to do anywhere near as much as that stuff when it was full on with raw I had the blinkers on I kind of just felt like I have to just keep going. I remember yeah. the first few years, I barely took a break. I think the longest I took off was maybe a week off in about three years or so, something like that. Mm. Well, a week off in a, in a particular like chunk. And it was just like, well, I've got to keep going on this. And it's fine, because that's what I needed to do to get where I am now. And I'm yeah. totally... Me too. And I'm not like, oh, well, I'd change it because I wouldn't, but I can recognise that now. So whatever I do forward in my life, I can learn from all that stuff and be like, okay, I'm going to make sure I look after myself. Yeah. Because, but that's and now I used to have this feeling like stress would. Well, this was my belief that stress would give me. I'd be more creative under more pressure, and I think it worked for a spell of time. But then, if you're constantly under it, it's like that being in that fight or flight mode twenty four seven. Eventually, it's going to break down. Yeah, it's not good for anyone. It's really not. And um, similar thing early early on, just how many you know sixteen hour days were not uncommon. But but that I don't regret any of that because. I'd saved up three months' money and quit my job, so it was like this egg timer was going on. But also, I'd, I'd hit up on the beginnings of what is my style now, and that would, that felt awesome to finally have that breakthrough. It came after, long after university, you know, I'd struggled along that whole way. Um, so I threw everything at it, but as you say, you know, I've had burnout since then, and, and it's just not good. And when you said about the three days a week, what's quite interesting is when I first moved to London, I mean, I, I came back last September, and I was in London for three years. I had a great time there, it was very intense, but... One thing that I did quite early was place a greater value on seeing the stuff you do to complement the working hours as, as equally important. So that would be leaving the studio sometimes at 2pm to go and meet a friend for coffee at 4pm and then just going home and soaking in that, you know, that process and that inspiration from whatever conversation we had. Whereas any time up until then I would have got the, the earth's guilt on my shoulders for having not been in the studio and not at the grindstone. You know, it's, it's that mentality again and creativity doesn't work like that it isn't you can't just go and do five days a week and bang it out it's just it's a human thing yeah you have to be inspired like you say you have to live well you have to be a contrasting environment it's nature urban you know but if you don't find a balance in all things you can't be at your best at that i don't think yeah. so i think it's really um it's 
really important. And I think it comes with experience, getting a greater appreciation of that whole, I don't want to say the work-life balance because that's like the ultimate cliche, but it's what we do is not entirely separate from our lives because it comes from us as, a, as an individual. Therefore, if you don't look after you and, and stay fresh, then you know you can quickly lose sight of a lot of important things. Yeah, totally. Like I remember when we were in our throes of all going back in that build mode and growing, that's all I thought about 24-7. Mm. Literally all I thought, my sleep was destroyed for a period of time. But as soon as I wake up, all the stuff, um, and yeah, it's just bringing, as you say, balance is key. Just bringing that back in. Yeah, so. And know. how do you find the, you know, you, you mentioned about doing the three days a week now. Um, do you have, have you found yourself kind of taking in more influences are you, are, you, are you basically are you feeling better more creative are you soaking up the world around you now you know with a bit more time like you said to breathe to meditate to do all these things has that helped your practice in terms of the fundamental creativity yeah 100% I'd say around about when I started meditating in 2012 or maybe just before that before that the first say that I would have been about 31 at that time from graduating and doing it everything was focused in the creative industry all my inspiration and all that stuff was always seeing what everyone else was doing and checking all that out and looking to emulate or create or whatever that would be around there. And then as soon as I started to meditate um, and also we started to travel more, I just started to just expand my horizon much more. And I, now I'm not really I'm not really interested what other um, agencies are creating or other creators. I'm, I can still look at it and admire it, but I'm not like I'd always be on blogs and stuff like that, checking that stuff. Mm. But now I'm just really interested in, in, in other things and basically like how the world works, um, understanding the finer details of things and um, lots of just different stuff to explore. And like basically what's happened is for us, particularly around that time, 2011, 2012, is like, it's almost like as if we develop much more of a conscience with our stuff, with our work. We used to work with some maybe big brands that weren't necessarily, I'm not aligned with now. So we had to kind of like maneuver away from them. So for instance, Nando's, for instance, we used to work on their Christmas campaigns and stuff like that. And then one, we didn't particularly find working with that team to be um, the most harmonious. And also we weren't really feeling aligned with them as a company anymore. So we made the decision to part ways and other stuff. We had an opportunity to work with uh, a massive cereal brand and just decided to say no we're going to turn them down because it got to the point where I think if I had kids would I feed that to our kids and the answer was no so I'm like I can't actively pursue and create something for them that is going to be pushing something like yeah. that so we started to go down this thing of just being much more conscious with with the way we we were um, going about things so we actively pursued um going after clients like the Vegetarian Society and other charities and stuff like that. The only thing is, is, you know, we, those type of projects don't pay as big a books as what we were getting. stuff. So it's very much getting that balancing act. So just to be in this position now, with just the two of us, but be able to extend this team, we can, um, we don't have to just do that project because we need the money kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We can, um, we can be much more focused and say, okay, we'd really love to work with them or yeah. see stuff like that. Um, which in the past we couldn't. We used to, if a pitch came in, nine times out of ten we'd go after it. Yeah. In the studio now, um, we've done maybe one this year, something like that, um, or two, and that's just 
that feels good just to be able to just yeah. say, yeah, that feels right, we'll go after that. Mm-hmm. So, well, this is another thing, I'm, the first time in my life I'm kind of looking at, you know, actually owning a home and, and, and that's because suddenly I've got the, the reason that you just hit up on there, which is in the long run, cutting out that big payment so that I've got creative freedom. You know, ultimately, if I can, if I can make most, most of my money from passive income, whatever that might be, whether it's prints of artwork that I'm passionate about, you know, I don't know. I'm, you know, it's all about happiness for me, that's what it comes down to now. It's all about that, that day-to-day feeling inspired, feeling creative. It doesn't, you know, some weeks I'm, I, I can't move for projects, but I've held fast to what my style is and what I want my work to be over the last few years, and now that I'm approaching 10 years, I've got a little bit more liberty to be selective about that, and it's great because, you know, I'm enjoying most of the work now, so even when I'm stuck busy, it's great. But the minute it dies down, I'm, I'm not in the studio again at the desk, I'm, I'm off to the library, I'm wandering around, I'm out in the country, I just now place a lot more value on, on that, on just feeding the machine with, with everything. I remember a tutor, a tutor at university confusing me when he told us to go and just pick a random section in the library and flip through some books and read some stuff, and I was like, what's he on about? It's not design, it's not, you know, you know it's that idea yeah. of everything has to be within this industry, but well, that's when you start to repeat what's out there or repeat your own previous stuff because you're not filling the head you know, with other interesting things so yeah, totally well, we seem very much on the same page of stuff and mm. gone through that kind of that journey of yeah finding out what what like you say the happiness and the thing for me is like now is the idea of bringing meaning to my life and feeling fulfilled mm. and is what I'm doing day to day enough and that's why I was working or well, basically it's not totally like we just do choosy Wednesday, Thursday on board, sometimes it bleeds across or whatever, but it's given us this time now to pursue other things that we want to do. You know, I, I recently did a permaculture design course and just really fascinated about growing my own food and being more connected to nature and how we can do sort of community gardens and encouraging people to sort of grow their own food and mm-hmm. even in cities, that sort of thing just I get a real buzz off. Brilliant. And also it gets me off my computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, pursuing other things, and we got these what we call passion projects. Ruth did a children's book not long ago. She worked with Andy J. Miller out in America. Uh, so we self-published that one, um, and I'm working on a children's duvet set at the moment with Spencer Wilson to help educate kids about endangered species and mm-hmm. and that thing I said before about um, kids are all born geniuses. It's it's applying that to this and getting the kids to use their imagination, dream up their own stories and write stories, write poetry, sing, whatever it may be. Mm. And these are the things that just get we get a real buzz off. Like, yeah. And I'm not even thinking, this is the thing that's going to make me all this money. It's not about that. It's like, if Raw can continue doing the way it is with stuff and we have enough projects in and whatever, it gives us the opportunity to do this other stuff without thinking it has to make money. Because I think there's a net, there can be an element, like for instance with your podcast, that, this may turn into something for you that could be something that you can monetize or whatever it may be. Or, mm. I don't know, you may be doing that already. Um, but I guess when you set out, it was like, I'm just going to do it because I want to, I love chatting with people. And, exactly that. And I want to share people's stories and what they're doing. Yeah, well, I'll get going. My, my, my chief motivation with this is what I was doing was a lot, a lot of kind of disconnected charity work. So I'd, do a, I'd help somebody out and do a flyer for this, all right do a, a line drawing for this thing. And it was, I never felt like it was adding up to anything for me personally. So I stopped doing some of that stuff and started to focus on this. And, and my chief cause with this is to try and strengthen creative industries 
and creativity because as, and what we said about the education system I feel very strongly about that and I think it's leading to a lot of um, negative outcomes for people like mental health issues so my idea is that if, I don't know how many episodes it will run to maybe I'll do it for 50 years maybe I'll do it for, I don't know I really don't know but um, if I can leave some sort of archive up there permanently that people, whether they're coming out of uni, whether they're 70 years old and just want to listen because they're interested, I don't really care, but if someone can take something from people's interesting stories, then that, that's my idea, you know, that hopefully, because to me it's, it's served as a third instalment of my education, I never thought it would, it would be that, but it really has been, to talk to like, you know, 150 odd fascinating people, people who've been in the industry 50 years, just interesting students, I had a 10 year old on the show, who was wow. doing? Who was he had set up his own little Disney cartoon racket at school, which I thought was genius. So, That's and I just get inspired by every single person. So if I can pass that on and hope that other people can learn, enjoy, then 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 it's a cause. So that's the motivation behind it. Of course, like everything we do, if I can monetize it with uh, a couple of sponsors who get something out of having their thing on my show, then brilliant. We all win. You know why not? It gives me. I can justify doing it for more time. But like you said, what it does is feeds the other big picture. So. That said, I would I would ask you, well, does it does does that other stuff maybe not monetize it, but does it feed raw and the work you do and your creativity when you're on that? I would guess that it does. Yeah, hundred percent. Because we're able to explore and experiment in different ways that we wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. It ties into like we were saying before, we do a lot of self-initiated stuff, and the aim now is to turn the self-initiated stuff into products for us. So we set up another company called Make Work Play about a year and a half ago, and that's what the the book, Bruce's book, uh, Len Legsworth, that was um, uh, put through that and the Bed Buds is, and we just to start to develop like a series of our own little products like posters and cards and stuff like that. Again, it's just a way for us just to express ourselves. Mm. And the thing for me, it's it's getting me back to being a designer again. And I'm doing a lot of hand drawing again and I'm scanning it in and I'm working all that stuff. Now, I, for years, I can't even remember picking up a pencil for years because it, it, just, it just wasn't, kind of felt like it wasn't possible but it didn't feel like it at the time and now I'm just getting back to that craft and yeah. developing that craft Yeah. and you know when you create something new or a new style or whatever or a new piece everyone you can get that um, you get that hit from you can be like yeah it feels good like for instance I've just started a watercolouring course at college like I'm going back to college and there as well like I've always been very much like a technical drawing and pencil so for me it's really freeing yeah. to go there and to do something that I've actually never I've done a little bit at some workshops over time but to be able to go there and learn how to wash and all this sort of stuff and just play about and it's like it's great and I'm going in there it's funny because um, I was thinking about this quote you know everyone says a practice makes perfect and I just don't like this idea of perfect <laughs> like I was a perfectionist for years I felt like really really and to the point where it's a stranglehold on you because yeah. you'll never put anything out in a way or you'll never feel comfortable with doing or because it has to be that better. And then in your mind, you can, even though you're happy with it five minutes ago, five minutes later, you just shit all over it. Yeah. Because you're like, you know, it's not this, it's not that. Um, I was doing that all the time. So for me to start this new thing, so I like the idea of practice makes better instead. Yeah. Because wherever we start from, whatever we do in life, you know, there's always going to be someone better than you. There's always going to be someone worse than you, technically. Absolutely. And I think it's just really comes down to be like, okay, you be, you do your best, you be your best self, mm-hmm. you know, and get rid of that perfect. And I think that perfect maybe ties into the idea of skills. Well, whatever you know, that idea of everything's got to be right, and maybe things actually have got to be wrong to mm-hmm. be right. 
Yeah, well, look around you. You know, my whole, my whole, everything I've ever done has been built on the imperfect. And I've spent so many years going against that because of exactly what you've said there. That, that whole idea of practice perfect, get it right. It's like, oh my God, no, I was doing that all, it was, that was wrong all along. <laughs> For me, anyway, you know. Yeah. But you know, you might, you're right, you don't experiment, you don't let loose, you don't share things with people who might be able to give you great feedback or uh, give you, you know, a point of view from a position of experience that's way beyond your reach. If you don't get it out there, and you know it's things in that in that state of flux uh, sometimes when someone could get hold of them and go oh, you know that could be this or yeah. it's just putting it out into the world but yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just um, happy accidents and stuff and mm. just all sorts of and I think that's what we talk about the kids stuff and childlike nature yeah. that is when it's the most creative Oh God. that's when it's just so playful and so fun so imaginative and you start with something you don't have any expectations and then it turns into something like wow mm -hmm. but as soon as you maybe have that perfectionist feeling it and it feels like you have and you put expectations around it you just shit all over it yeah <laughs> totally because I can see looking around at your style it definitely like that you know so expressive so free um, it's good it's really nice cheers no it's uh, yeah and again it's just it's, it's developed over time with you know in, in sync with personal realisations like, like, you, like you've talked about today you know the, the, uh, as I start to understand why I behave the way I behave why I feel this way about that and you know just my personality in general the two are very much entwined therefore it reflects upon the style and I'm able you know I'm so at ease now with it not being perfect that it's such, such fun with it and that's the stuff that people come to me for you know and, and some, it's quite often that a client will come to me and let's say it's a big client and I'll get the same fear that I used to get in exams and I'll tighten up a bit too much and luckily most of the time they've come to me for that expressiveness and they've gone no this is not that that's not lovely and loose like you know and I'm like okay shit sorry yeah that's my fault I've felt under pressure because you're a big client so I need yeah. to go and get messy again and that's a great thing because people come to me for that now so yeah it's a, it's a big riddle but it's it's all about being honest and open about yourself isn't it I think ultimately yeah, yeah. something that's helping me now at the moment is not trying to think where something has to end up at all. Yeah. Or thinking, if I do this, it could turn into this or this. It's just being as much in the day-to-day, -day, in the moment as I can, and just see where something can go. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like that for years, and it's, it really feels refreshing to get more back in the space. And it feels like, even though it might not feel like um, from us, because you know, when we were doing the studio the way we were, we were putting stuff out and we are keeping up with stuff, in a way, we've gone into that, almost in that cocoon phase for a little bit. We're like, we're reworking out what we want to do with our lives. And we've got to be comfortable with, okay, not much is appearing to be manifesting or changing, but it's actually, we're in that space of slowing down. So when we do sort of like, you know, you come out of your cocoon, then we can flourish in other ways. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, life is, um, it's fun, that's for sure. <laughs> Uh, has the uh, has the nature of the work that you're doing with Raw changed off the back of this? You know, of your lifestyle changes. As I mean, are you are you approaching your you know? I'm thinking. I guess I'm thinking the relationships with clients and that kind of stuff. Are you more? Do you go to them and and, and do you have more time now to, to find the right creative solution? As you said, to experiment to find out where things are going, as opposed to the kind of breakneck speed that you might have in a big agency with staff to support and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, in terms of when we made the shift, it was it was almost continuing business as usual for a period of time because we were 
converting the loft and getting everything right. And we had all them clients that, you know, we were very open and honest with them. We said, listen, this is how it is for us. We want to make a change for ourselves. We want to be working a different way. And um, and they were really, really supportive. They're like, yeah, we don't mind. As long as the work keeps on getting produced, we're okay. So for about a year or so or whatever, we tend to just, in a way, it was really more focused on us getting our lives back a little bit. It wasn't necessarily about focusing on transforming how we approach things creatively. It was more like, okay, we need some more time to breathe. How can we settle into this? Because in a way, sometimes we don't realise how significant changes are when we're making our lives. From us going one way and then just turning it around overnight, it can take you a while to just, you got to adjust to it and, and allow that to sort of go in its own way. But I definitely say for the past year, year and a half or so, because it's been about two and a half years now since I, the past year or so, it's been very much more experimental. Um, I feel like I'm a much more fun designing again, but designing new stuff. Um, Ruth as well is getting really interested in other things that she's pursuing. It's given us that space to just explore these things that was not even possible before because it was five days a week. It was mm-hmm. always thinking about it, this stuff. This. So, um, but yeah, in terms of like the clients, we've just started recently to get some um, focusing on who do we want to work with and this idea, who do we feel aligned with? and getting in touch with them and we're getting a really nice response and there's some stuff coming out there some really nice charities that we could be working with um, and they're the ones that kind of like at the moment to work on a really good it's a kids charity potentially to work on something like that that's doing some really good good in the world mm-hmm. to know that you can do that and we can use our skills in that way but still um, get an income from it as well that's like that's a real buzz yeah. to be able to do them things yeah Hundred percent. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, very rewarding when you get those kind of kind of briefs into fair, fair play. It's really, uh, I think it's a really great story, and uh, hopefully a cautionary tale for people who might be about to go headlong down that route where it's not right for them, you know. But then there's an argument that it's best to find out for yourself. So who knows? <laughs> it's interesting. I was thinking about that myself just this morning, and how how I would have done it differently if maybe I had heard someone talking. So a big thing that helped me to change was. Uh, coming across Tim Ferriss in the mm. four hour work week. I read that in about 2013 or 2014. And that just really switched on things to see how you can work smarter. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing for me is like, you don't need to work hard anymore, we can work smarter instead. Where we can still get the same output. He has this thing that I didn't really grasp beforehand, but he says like the 80 20 rule. You, know, you, you can put 20% of the effort in and get 8% of rewards, or you can put in another 80% but you're only going to get an extra 20% of the rewards. And that just really clicked. And we, we applied that to a lot of stuff in terms of what clients are we getting that out of. But anyway, in terms of like, do people need to learn in the moment? I'd say yeah, totally. Because I wouldn't, like I say, I wouldn't change anything because of what I've got. However, if someone's listened to this or when I've gone out and done some talks and they've got it, if a little light bulb goes off on them and they can almost jump ahead of that, by five years, ten years, yeah, because okay, I've seen that. That's how that's worked. Okay, and I think there's just a whole thing happening at the moment. Of um, I came across something the other day. I think it's seventy percent of people um, don't like the jobs, but thirty five percent of that seventy hate the jobs. Right. Now that is significant. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many since the recession back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. 
with credit crunch, there's more startups happen than ever. So people are either through through choice of saying, right, I'm quitting my job, I'm gonna do this, or by force because they've been made redundant. Like that in a way is like that's the thing that's giving the people the push to go, I'm gonna go start this thing, I'm gonna do this. And there's so many people working in smarter ways and working remotely, not thinking that they want to be part of big teams and big businesses and realising that actually we can do it all collaboratively. I think that's the thing with the technology. Mm-hmm. You know, the way it feels really nice and fluid and agile the way we can work now, building it, bringing in teams. We could be a team of 10 if we wanted to or a team of 20 or just a team of two. And we could really just be totally flexible with that. And I think that's the way the world that we're moving towards now. Yeah. And particularly with jobs, like my mum and dad would have worked in jobs, you know, my mum particularly, you know, a 30, 40 year career in a job. That is, that is like going to be really unheard of, I think, going forward, especially yeah. for the majority. I'm sure people may be working in maybe the public sector more or, or other stuff like that. Um, maybe that might be the case, but I think it's um, times are changing and it's so exciting. It can be also be very unsettling, but I think we need to get unsettling for us to actually then push us to go down a different direction yeah it's true it's so true I started like I say I started up around that time when the shit hit the fan with the economy and um, I guess it's all I've ever known really so I, I, you know, I can't, there was nothing before it so I can't, I can't say I've noticed a change that was the environment I took the plunge in for what for better or worse maybe it was a foolish decision but I didn't know it at the time yeah. <laughs> so you know it's been alright so absolutely yeah Interesting. Well, um, uh, there's a question I ask all my guests at the end called Shark in the Tank, and I ask them for a love and a hate or a positive and a negative about their creativity, about what they do. It's a very lateral, wide open question. It can be as silly or as serious as you want. Okay, let me think. <laughs> Good and the bad. Well, the, the bad potentially at times is, you know, whether it's like, okay, we've all got creative minds, but maybe if if in some ways because I've chosen this path and I've chosen to be more of a creative is sometimes not being able to switch off yeah. and my mind just being on overdrive at times you, know, you could have you know there's too, you basically have too many ideas to do you haven't got enough you know you haven't got as many hands or time <laughs> to come up with all the stuff you want so that's that can be a downside but then on the plus side of that is if I can be focused and clear about the ones that I really want to do then isn't it amazing to be alive at this time with, with all this opportunity and all this all these things available to us to then go out and create it oh god yeah like for instance you view podcasts absolutely I mean god I, I, and, and aside from you know I mentioned earlier the reason for doing it about the whole creative thing and meeting creative people but I just love podcasts and radio I always have done I've always had an affinity for just listening to that one person in a room sort of talking about something I don't know what it is about the medium but I always felt drawn to it, and but never ever considered that I might do it until the head of my illustration agency uh, during a coffee just said, "You like you love talking about this stuff. Have you thought about podcasting?" That was it, light bulb moment. Not you know, not stopped since. And wow. just, yeah, but yeah, to your to your point, it's it's absolutely wonderful the fact that that tiny mic I can take that to wherever in the world and record a show with someone. Wow, yeah, we're so lucky to be alive at a time where that's possible. And if you think you know, going back only a couple of decades or whatever you'd have to go into broadcasting or to be in a big organization to be given that opportunity to have a voice but i think now we live in a time where we've all got platforms to express our our voice yeah and 
that is like so empowering and so freeing. I suppose now it just comes to be like, okay, well, what do we want to share? Yeah, yeah. How and then also then being brave to be like, okay, I'm gonna put my head up above the sand and I'm gonna share this. And if some people like it, great. If some don't, then well, that's the way it is. Well, yeah, guys, yeah. I think that's part of um, admitting and, and embracing who you are. But that you know, you think well, it's mine, and there's always gonna be someone who doesn't like it. So. You know, that's that's probably good. So it's probably a good thing if you look at it positively, so get it out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's wonderful and uh, lastly where can people check out all the things you're up to? Um well they can um do you wanna check out our work and stuff, that'll be on our website, we are raw.co.uk and it's the same on our social media and then me personally they can um check out my like Instagram and uh, Twitter and stuff which is Rob underscore Watson underscore. Um, and yeah I can see what we've been up to and, and stuff like that and really at a point now for us it feels like we're really starting to be able to express a lot more of what we're doing so hopefully if people check it out they um, can see what's going to be happening over the next nice. few months and years go and see the next stage of the journey that's it brilliant that's it hi Rob cheers your time mate no thanks I really appreciate it Ben Thank you so much to Rob Watson, one half of the fantastic Raw Studio. Go and take a look at their portfolio over at weareraw.co.uk. Wonderful work across a broad spectrum of industries with great clients. Um, go and check out his podcast, The Do Good Podcast. It's really worth a listen if you like a heartwarming story and some good news and some inspiration. God knows there's enough bad news out there at the moment, so go take a look. Thank you once again to the sponsors, illustrationweb.com, heartinternet.co.uk and theaoi.com. Uh, all for the fantastic supporters of not just the show but the creative industry which is what this show is all about it's about creativity belonging identity um and creative innovation of course it's the title um coming up we've got the return of jane boyer um, creator of women in print had a fantastic year last year as you're gonna be checking in so you can hear what's going on what's new there talking to dominique byron fantastic illustrator also we're going to be talking about her geometric orderly style and why that's a reflection of her character we've got the executive creative director of Jones Knowles Ritchie Agency, Sean Thomas, um, really, really intriguing guy, fantastic story and talking lots about creativity and life inside a big agency. So we've got Blair Ends coming up talking about pricing creativity, that old taboo. Um, there was some news recently that the, the AOI had had some legal news about not being able to offer pricing assistance. Um, it's a big blow actually and, and I'm curious to know what's going on there. But fear not, Blair Ends is coming and he's talking about uh, value-based value, value based pricing of creativity and it's a real uh, insight into how we should be doing things and getting the best you know, the best price we can for, for and in return the best work for our clients. So do us a favour, tell a friend about the show, give us a review on iTunes, check out the sponsors, hit us up on the social at Arrest on the Mix. I hope January's not been too drastic for you. I hope things are moving now. I'm looking forward to hearing what you've been up to. Do let us know on the social at Arrest on the Mix. That's enough from me. Cheers for listening. Thanks again to Rob Watson from Raw Studio. Cheers. Have a good week.